friends, welcome to Log On at 11 Spurgeon Baptist Church's online presence during the current COVID season. Uh, as has become our practice, we're going to follow a little liturgy just to hold our worship together and give us some sense of being uh, together with one another. Everything in bold type uh, is what we say together. Everything in light type I'll say on my own. Uh, if you're following the liturgy on the screen, everything in yellow type is what we say together. So let's begin. In the beginning, before time, before people, before the world began, God was. Here and now, among us, beside us, enlisting the people of the earth for the purposes of heaven, God is. In the future, when we will have turned to dust and all we know has found its fulfilment, God will be. Let us pray. Loving God, you are faithful, just and forgiving. Help us now to grasp the greatness of your love. Where we have failed to love and loved to hurt, forgive us and heal us. Where we have scorned difference and have been indifferent to those in need, forgive us and heal us. Where we have spoken harsh words to others and have been quick to take offence ourselves, forgive us and heal us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Hello. Well, the theme this week, or the subject this week, is the road to Emmaus, which is where the disciples meet with the risen Jesus. But at first, they don't recognise him. Now, I've often thought, why don't they recognise him? But then again... Mary didn't recognise him either when she went to the tomb. She thought he was the gardener. So I came to the conclusion that the resurrection had changed Jesus physically in some way that they don't instantly recognise him. How's that possible? Well, quite honestly, I don't know. But then again, I've never met anybody resurrected from the dead. But we can recognise that it is possible to change your appearance. And I'm not talking plastic surgery. One can quite simply change your appearance by a change of hairstyle. More dramatically, perhaps, if someone loses or gains a lot of weight. Or, more dramatically again, through illness. Or maybe you haven't seen anyone for a while. Well, that applies to all of us, doesn't it? But then when you do meet up, you think, wow. If I hadn't known it was him or her, I would never have recognised them. But it was Jesus' actions through which the disciples recognised him. Not his physical appearance. So the question is, do we recognise Jesus? I don't mean physically, but what do we see? Do we recognise what he's doing? Maybe we're not looking at things correctly or even in the right place. Let me explain what I mean by that, by a couple of illustrations. Um, you may have seen these before, but uh, I hope they'll help explain where I'm coming from. Let's look at the first one. What do you see? Do you see a candlestick? Or do you see 
two heads facing one another. Can you see both? Well, it's quite an easy illustration. The second one's slightly more complicated, much the same thing. What do you see here? Can you see a duck? Or perhaps you see a rabbit? Or maybe a bird or a hare, but you, you get what I mean. But then again, are you looking right or are you looking left? Can you see both? Okay, thirdly, the, the last illustration. This is a bit trickier, I think, but what do you see here? Do you see a woman? Is she an old witch? Or is she a young lady? Can you see both? I suppose it depends how we look at it. Sometimes we may not recognise something because it's not what we expect to see. So we might not recognise Jesus. But if God is everywhere, then surely we should be able to see him. I don't mean physically, but we should at least be able to see what he's doing. If not, maybe we need to take a second look. And when we do, what do we see? Do we see God at work in Christ? Maybe. Maybe not. Do we need to take another look? What do you see? Well, I think the prophet Jeremiah summed it up quite nicely. In Jeremiah 29 and verse 12, he says this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Well, that's quite simple, isn't it? So what do we seek? Do we recognise Jesus? Do you see him at work? What do you see? Our reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 24 and starting at verse 13. It's entitled On the Road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. 
but they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem and there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Amen. The Easter season, post-resurrection uh, appearances, we've <laughs> the the disciples are confronted with this rather amazing prospect that Jesus actually was telling them the real truth when he talked about being handed over uh, to the leaders uh, to be crucified and then that he would rise from the dead three days later. It was not something that they expected and we explored a little of that, uh, a little of the shock of that on Easter Sunday morning, didn't we? Uh, Later that same day, uh, we pick the story up with these two friends who are walking uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Uh, one named Cleopas, the other we don't know uh, his name, but uh, they're deep in conversation as they're walking, um, sharing their sadness, no doubt, and their disappointment. Well, we we are aware of that, aren't we? Because as they walk, uh, Jesus himself turns up to walk alongside them and asks them, what are, what are you talking about? Well, friend, are you are you a visitor to Jerusalem? Have you not heard of this Jesus, the Nazarene preacher, who was such an amazing person? What a, a wonderful preacher, teacher, prophet, miracle worker. I mean, the stuff that he said, the stuff that he did, it was absolutely out of this world. And now, sadly, he's gone. Our, you know, our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be crucified by the Roman authorities, and and he was done away with uh, a couple of days ago. And early this morning, our women went to anoint the body, and they've come back with this amazing story that he's not there. Somehow or other, he's risen from the dead, which we are just struggling to grasp. And then Jesus takes them through the scriptures and says to them how slow you are to believe. And starting you know, at one end, he moves through to the other and points out all of the places in the law and the prophets that pointed towards him and towards what he was going to do. And then, of course, as they're coming close to their destination, as they're coming close to Emmaus, Jesus uh, looks as though he's going to continue on his journey. And they, the two friends say to him, well, don't, don't go further. Stay with us. You know, the day is drawing to a close. Evening's here and, you know, the night will soon be upon us. 
So please stay and eat and rest. Stay overnight. Continue your journey tomorrow. And rather unusually, Jesus takes bread and breaks it at the meal and gives it to them. And it's as if scales drop from their eyes and they see him for who he really is. They see him, uh, their Lord and Saviour, risen and alive. And he disappears <laughs> uh, and they run all the way back, <laughs> all the way back to Jerusalem. Uh, and they say to the disciples there, it's true, we've seen him, he's alive. And then he'll appear amongst them again. Uh, it, it is a lovely, lovely story, isn't it? And when I was at college a long, long time ago, our then college principal, Dr. Raymond Brown, um, would talk about this. He, he wrote um, a little essay for a book uh, about the resurrection and a number of uh, prominent preachers were invited to write about the resurrection. And Ray Brown actually wrote about this passage. Uh, and he says in his little essay, the, the two friends on the road to Emmaus are really the forerunners for all believers uh, that will follow on after uh, this first generation uh, of believers, because these are the ones uh, that come to faith in the same way that we do. Uh, it is by uh, by faith and not by sight, he would contend, Ray Brown would contend. Uh, and by that, he means, you know, the, this, this commitment that they come to um, happens during the journey, the physical journey on the road to Emmaus, uh, as Jesus talks to them and opens the scriptures concerning himself. And they comment, you know, were our hearts not burning within us as he spoke and opened up the scriptures for us? And it, it, it is that really, I know, I know it is an encounter with the risen Lord, uh, and that is quite unique and quite specific to them. But their path to faith is based around understanding the scriptures and what the scriptures say about Jesus and acknowledging that and accepting that for themselves. Uh, and it is a, a deliberate act of trust. Uh, very often at this stage, you know, unhelpful comparisons are drawn between this couple of friends and Thomas, uh, who is not present when Jesus appears to the disciples in the upper room and says, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm pleased for you, but I didn't see it. And until I can see it, until I can put my hands in, in his side, my fingers in the nail marks, I'm not going to believe it. Now, I, I have a particular fondness for Thomas, I have to say, uh, and uh, would not want to hold him up as a, a bad example. I think he was good in his own way uh, and courageous man too. Uh, but for these two, I mean, it is all about the scriptures. It's all about understanding what has been written. It's all about that. Um, so faith, not sight, although Jesus does reveal himself right at the end uh, and then very unhelpfully disappears. <laughs> There'd be so many questions you would want to ask, wouldn't there, if you had the Lord present with you. I mean, I know I've got 
lots of questions I would want to ask him. But not now, obviously. I'll have to wait until I see him face to face. You know, when uh, we all find ourselves in glory. And actually, we'll probably be so caught up in worship and adoration. I suspect all the questions will have disappeared. But these two uh, forerunners for us, uh, because they come to faith as we come to faith with a careful examination of the scriptures around Jesus. Um, and faith comes first, truth before experience. This is something else that Ray Brown would, uh, says in his essay. Uh, truth before experience. They they grasp the truth. They understand the truth. And then they experience Jesus. Uh, and there's this careful leading through the scriptures uh, that Jesus does with them. And, you know, one, one wonders exactly where he might have gone. And if you've got a good concordance, you could probably chart the course quite happily. But certainly Leviticus 16, when um, God gives Moses and Aaron instructions about the scapegoat and uh, how Aaron is to prepare himself and clean himself and clothe himself, gather, you know, a, a bull and goats, uh, prepare the bull and make atonement for himself. And then one of the goats is to be sacrificed and the other is to be kept alive and you know, the the goat that is kept alive is to be presented in front of the people and hands laid upon the goat and the sins of the people confessed over the goat and then the goat given to a man to take into the wilderness and then the goat to be released to go and die. Maybe that was part of it, you know, a scapegoat, someone who is to take the blame, which of course is what Jesus does on the cross for us all, isn't it? Um, we we hold that classical view um, of what happens on the cross, uh, penal substitution. So he, you know, Jesus takes our place. He takes the blame, receives upon himself all of the guilt and all of the suffering that is due to us uh, on the cross. And in his rising from the dead, he gives us newness of life he gives us that fresh start that chance to begin again uh, renewed and refreshed and enabled to live and witness you know in the light of his glory so we we understand that scapegoating thing we understand that is what jesus was doing on the cross i wonder what it was like for those two disciples as you know he said to them look you know about the day of atonement and you know about the goat and all of that business, don't you? Yes, of course we do. We Every year we go and we see that. Well, this is what Jesus was doing on the cross for you. So you, this doesn't have to happen again. Um, he's taken all the blame and it has all been heaped upon him and he's been broken once and for all. So you'll never have to do that stuff with the goat ever again. Wow. And certainly I would imagine uh, Isaiah 52 verse 13 uh, through to the end of chapter 53, all of that stuff about the suffering servant uh, and the way in which he was cut off from his people uh, and had no posterity. Uh, there was no beauty in him, but the Lord esteemed him. The Lord lifted him up. This was the Lord's chosen instrument. This was the way 
God was going to make amends or help the people to make amends. I'm sure that must have been a part of the conversation that went on on the road as they were walking and talking and listening together um, to, to have explored and examined the scriptures, all of the stuff that was in the Old Testament, because that's all they had at that point. Uh, all the stuff that points towards the coming of Jesus, that points towards his death on the cross as the pivotal event in the history of humanity. You know, time is divided, isn't it, for us into before Christ and Anno Domini, after the Master, before Christ and after Christ. It is the pivotal moment in the history of humanity and the way that we measure time acknowledges that. So for these two, hearing Jesus speak about himself but not knowing it was him, it must have been quite something, mustn't it? Uh, and interestingly, uh, there's no recrimination from Jesus, is there? Apart from him saying how slow you are. <laughs> Very gentle rebuke. Um, but that's OK, isn't it? That's fine. Sometimes we need to hear that from God. How slow you are to believe. And uh, we we just need to be gathered up again, don't we? In that fellowship of belief we need to be caught up again in that discourse of belief bringing all of the questions that we have to God bringing all of our doubts and fears and worries and concerns to God um, but believing that he is able to deal with them believing that he is able to deal with our wretchedness and sin if that's you know the problem that we've got and if we're human beings, then that is the problem that we've got. Um, approaching the throne of grace, as it says uh, in the New Testament, uh, with confidence because of what Jesus has done, knowing that we will be received, knowing that, you know, God will accept us, knowing that he will hold us in the palm of his hands, knowing that he delights in our presence. And the, and the picture is... Uh, the picture of the prodigal son and the father and restoration. Uh, and shortly, you know, in the post-resurrection appearances, you come to that encounter between Jesus and Peter once again, uh, when Peter and the others have gone out fishing and they've been out all night and they've caught not a thing. And there's a figure on the shore that calls out to them, friends, have you any fish? No. Uh, well, try casting your net on the other side of the boat. And they do, and they catch the biggest catch that they've ever had in their history as fishermen. Uh, it's the Lord, says John. And Peter jumps out of the boat and makes his way back to the shore. And there's that lovely encounter where you know you're you're not sure what's going to happen are you really when you've when you've been in the wrong and you know you've been in the wrong and there is there is one that you love and you know you let him down and you want so much for things to be as they were and they they're not yet and what is he going to say because there's nothing you can say 
And what does he say? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? You know that I love you, Lord. Feed my lambs. Peter, yes, Lord. Do you love me? You know that I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. And that's it. There's no going over the past. There's no going back to what was wrong. There's no rehearsing of any of that. It is now. Now, in this moment, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then do this for me. And it's now in this moment that we encounter the risen Jesus. And in the face of his purity and love for us and in the face of his generosity, I certainly become very aware of my own shortcomings and what I've not done and failed to do. Sins of omission, sins of commission. And what is going to happen to me? And the Lord comes gently and tenderly and calls me by name and says, do you love me? And of course, that is at the heart of all of this, isn't it? Do we love the Lord? Will we hear his commission on our lives? Will we leave the past behind? Receive the newness of life, which he has won at such great cost for us. Do you love him? Will you go and do whatever it is he calls you to do? Of course you will. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we remember before you the Queen and the royal family grieving the death of Prince Philip. We give you thanks, Father, for his life of service and dedication to the Queen, to our country, to the Commonwealth and to the world. He was a World War II veteran serving in the Royal Navy during that conflict, starting as a, a midshipman and eventually achieving the rank of commander by the time he finished his career in the Navy upon marrying our future Queen. He was a great sportsman, uh, particularly known for polo when he was younger and then uh, the sport of carriage driving. Uh, as he got older. He was very interested in seeing young people achieve their potential and many, um, many that we know, many of our generation indeed, uh, will have benefited from the Duke of Edinburgh's award scheme. Um, many young people will have found themselves discovering things within themselves that they didn't know were there. They've become useful 
and fruitful and productive members of society because they engage with the scheme, they grew in maturity, their potential was realised and recognised and they have made a significant difference because of him and the work of his award scheme. And of course he was a pioneer uh, in what is now firmly on everyone's agenda all around the world, the whole notion of the significance and importance of our environment and how we treat it. We thank you for the pioneering work that he did uh, and for his presidency of WWF from 1961 to 1982. We think about the Queen, about Prince Philip's children and grandchildren and the wider family and royal household. All those who are dealing now with the shock of bereavement. And of course, he was 99. He had a good innings. No one lives forever. We know all of these things. And yet when someone dies, it is always too soon. There are always things that we wish we could have said always things that we wish we could have done. I pray, Lord, that there will be no such regrets uh, for the Queen or for the children. Thank you, Father, that the Queen knows you and loves you and she's spoken openly about her relationship with you, especially in her Christmas broadcasts. We pray that your comfort, Holy Spirit, will be very apparent to her, as indeed will be our best wishes, the best wishes of all of her peoples all around the world. We've become aware of the uh, US's plan to withdraw their troops from Afghanistan. It has been a long war and one might wonder quite what has been achieved. Afghanistan is an extremely complicated and complex country with a number of competing parties and individuals both uh, those that are recognised as uh, governing and governors and others. We pray, Father, for a, a warming of the relationship between the Afghan government and the Taliban. We pray that the Taliban would come to the table to negotiate with the Afghan government. We pray that compromises would be worked out that will be beneficial to all of the people across all of that country. Pray for the security forces in that place who have been trained by many of our own uh, soldiers, sailors and airmen, as well as uh, American counterparts. We pray that they might be a robust and effective force protecting their people from the threat of terror. We know that the people of that place long for peace, peace with justice. 
and we pray that that might be what happens in the in the months that lie ahead we know that it's going to be difficult we know actually lord that there's going to be a very uncomfortable period a dangerous period where competing actors seek power we pray that all of the countries around the world that have been engaged with Afghanistan militarily will continue to be engaged diplomatically, that we will not take our eyes away from what is going on there, but that we will intensify our gaze over the coming weeks and months to remind those who do hold power that they have a responsibility and to remind those that want power that they should be there to govern for the benefit of all the peoples, not just their own little group. We remain in the grip of the pandemic, Lord, around the world. We give you thanks for the new vaccines that are coming online and for the way in which vaccines are being rolled out all around the world. Thank you, Father, that in our country, in the UK, we've achieved a major goal ahead of schedule and we're now able to offer vaccination to uh, tranches of people who are in their 40s. We pray that uh, these opportunities will be taken up and that many more people will be vaccinated, thus uh, spreading that uh, safety net more widely across our own country. We are aware, though, Lord, that there are difficulties in other places. We know um, our friends in Europe uh, are still working hard to try and roll the vaccine out across the continent. Uh, we pray that manufacturers will be able to meet the targets uh, that are being set, that they will be able to respond quickly to requests uh, for more vaccines, uh, and that all that can be done will be done. We pray for the people of Brazil and India who seem to be very firmly in the grip of the vaccine and struggling to extricate themselves at this time. We pray for those who lead in those countries, uh, for those who are engaged in uh, public health work, uh, for those who lead from the very top. We ask that they might bend uh, all of their thinking and all of their will towards eradicating the difficulties that their people face at this time. We pray for our friends, for Chris, Ken, Adrienne and Hugh, Eric, Les, Dot, Margaret and Bob, Peter, Dennis and Shirley, Mary, Jay, Terry, Graham, Lauren and Lewis, Andy, Thelma, Richard and Naomi. Draw near, Lord. Bless our friends, we pray. We gather up all of our prayers as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. We say the canticle together. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We come to share communion. Uh, the way we're going to do this is I'm going to read the words that I would normally read when we're in church together. I will lead the prayers that I would normally lead. Uh, you'll need a piece of bread and you'll need a little wine or whatever you're substituting for wine. Uh, and we will eat and drink together. And I'll be very clear about when we do that and how we do that. You just follow what I am doing. So. If you truly and earnestly repent of your sins and are in love and charity with your neighbours and are resolved to lead a new life following the commandments of God and walking henceforth in his holy ways, then draw near with faith and take this sacrament to your comfort and growth in grace. Come to this sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Come not to testify that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in your frailty and sin, you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He also said, listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come into the house and eat with them and they with me. Let us pray. Lord, we come to your table trusting in your mercy and not in any goodness of our own. We are not worthy even to gather up the crumbs from under your table, but it is your nature always to have mercy and on that we depend. So feed us with the body and blood of Jesus Christ, your son, that we may forever live in him and he in us. Amen. This is what the Apostle Paul tells us concerning the institution of the Lord's Supper. For the tradition which I handed on to you came to me from the Lord himself, that on the night of his arrest the Lord Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks to God he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Whenever you do this, 
remember me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in memory of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Jesus offered a prayer of thanksgiving for bread and for wine, and we shall do the same. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for bread and for wine, ordinary things, which in your hands become extraordinary. We thank you for giving us something physical to help us remember you. Uh, your body broken for us, the bread broken. Your blood shed for us, the wine that we can taste. Things to touch and see and taste. Thank you, Father, for putting these things into our hands. As we eat and drink, may we do so with thankful hearts. Amen. So after he'd given thanks, the Lord took the bread and he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. The body of Christ broken for us. In the same way, he took the cup after supper. This cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink this, remember me. The blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Now going to God's word with joy and peace and love and hope in your hearts, and the blessing of God Almighty, Creator, Redeemer and Sustainer of all, be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.